Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 94 for May 31st, 2007, The Fourth Factor. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site. Looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. It's time to talk security, and our good friend Steve Gibson is here from his uh, Security Now Labs in Irvine, California, home of... My, my, my lair of security. Your lair, yes. your secret cave, the bat cave, home of Security Now, and of course, spin right and securable and shoot the messenger, decombobulator, the famous 50 million strong shields up. Did you ever figure out why you got a bump in shields up? No, but it's still there. Uh, knowing that we were going to talk about it maybe today, I looked again a few minutes ago, and it's it's consistent. It, we, we're like 49,000 uses of Shields Up a day a now. A day? Wow. Yeah. Somebody's got to be plugging it. it. I guess it could be the radio show, but I wonder if maybe now a router's not saying, or some security software's not saying, test us. Uh, I think that's probably exactly it. Somewhere, someone with a serious following is saying, you know, use Shields Up to go check right, things. Right. And But um, what's really interesting is, as I said before when I mentioned this, and I, and I saw it again profoundly, is this weekly cycle. And it does look like it's actually slower on the weekends oh. and busy. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Leo. Uh, oh. It's not the radio show in this case. <laughs> and, and, and busier. I mean, that, 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 it's a substantial population of people who are now like – I mean, it's a sharp peak. It's like they dis- something discovered it overnight. Wow. So I'm sure you're right. Somewhere there's some high traffic site or facility which is saying, you know, use shields up to test yourself. And well, I've could, been it could about even this. be this podcast because we certainly have we, we we've mentioned it from time to time, but we've been harping on it a lot because of the 50 million. Uh, could it even just be the attention this podcast generates? You saw the chart. In fact, why don't you bring the chart up right now? Um, go to grc.com mm-hmm. and go to Shields Up, and then click on that first entry button to get into where it sort of shows, you know, it says greetings, and then you see that first chart. You see the first set of buttons, and then scroll all the way down to the bottom of that to item number 12 which I think is labeled site history. And if you if you click that, you'll see I build a little... It's neat that you put that up. That's great. Yeah, I build a little dynamic chart yeah. um, that shows. But, I mean, it's it's overnight. I mean, in one oh, yeah. day... It's very visible on this. It doubles. Because it, it's very consistent, too. Um, and, and, and you can see there used to be a sine wave historically, which is our weekly, just the standard weekly cycle... And this is so it's more pronounced now. That's yeah. like that is to say the sine wave is a higher amplitude. Yeah. But something happened in one day where suddenly and consistently now the traffic doubled. Wow. It's very it's very clear. Yeah. When you look at that, you know that something happened. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, 50,597,626 shields tested. And counting. And counting. (laughs) By the time you... By the time I read it, it's it's uh it's much much higher. We want to uh, before we get into our subject today, we're going to kind of do a um, uh, a follow up on our uh, three factor authentication uh, discussion. Yeah, actually, I, I think of it more broadly than that, Leo. My feeling is that authentication is going to become nothing more than increasingly important in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, as online banking happens, as our identities are, are, as it's more important for people's daily lives that they be able to prove over the Internet that they are who they say they are. I mean, that the, the applications are expanding, and as that happens, it becomes increasingly important to be able to, to prove you are who you say you are, and for someone you're proving it to, to be able to trust that proof. So I'm... I'm I want to talk, I want to expand on and talk some more about some specific issues of authentication, but this is more than, you know, we, we certainly opened the topic broadly when we, four weeks ago, talked about multi-factor authentication. Of course, we started off the series 94 weeks ago talking about passwords, right, which is sort right, of the, that's the right. classic, you know, the classic easiest and and most familiar form of authentication. So, I think our listeners should should assume that authentication is going to be an ongoing sort of topic thread for us, probably for the foreseeable future. It's critical. It's a critical subject. Well, we'll get to this. And Steve has discovered a fourth factor. So it's exciting stuff. The fourth factor. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call this one. But <laughs> meanwhile, I want to remind everyone that Nerds on Site is our sponsor, and we love them. And we want to remind you that if you're interested in getting involved in the IT business, or maybe you're already in the IT business and you'd like to focus more on your business uh, or your, your your passion and less on the burdens of running a business that Nerds on Site is there for you. Um, they, 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 they Basically, they support people who want to work in technology. You can find out more at IWantToBeANerd.com. Uh, whether you're a PC or a Mac expert, even Cisco, Oracle experts, fix-it technicians, website designers, uh, there are programmers involved, project managers, even people in sales, trainers, of course, security experts, antivirus gurus, and and more. See, the, the deal is you remain an independent contractor, but Nerds on Site supports you so you can focus on what you want to do, not the nitty-gritty details of business. They operate in seven countries. Actually, I think it's more now. Canada, USA, Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, and Bolivia. And they even have a University of Nerdology where you can uh, enhance your skills in systems architecture design or software development or Full on-source IT departments, desktop support, Soho residential IT services, that kind of thing. Want to know more? I want to be a nerd.com. If you go there right now, you can register for a nerds-only meeting in your area today. They're great people, and we really thank them for helping us out uh, on uh, Security Now. I want to be a nerd, all one word, dot com. Nerds on site. We thank you for supporting Security Now. So... I know that this is working for them, by the way. Believe it or not, I received a video testimonial from a Security Now listener who found out about uh, the nerds through Security Now and has signed up and is a happy right. new right. nerd guy. I love that. That's so that was very right. cool. Yeah. I'm a happy new nerd guy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't call them that, but okay. No. Uh, actually, maybe we do. Maybe Not we do. to their faces. 
Uh, we also uh, want to mention uh, uh, Spinrite, of course, because that's uh, Steve's bread and butter. It's what keeps us afloat. Keeps Steve afloat anyway. Doesn't help me at all, but keeps well, Steve. <laughs> uh, it helps you indirectly. It helps me because I wouldn't have um, Steve if I didn't have it. So, yeah. You know, la- last week I, I read a testimonial where someone talked about how he ran Spinrite at, on, on a friends of his machine at level two, which, which, which took only a couple hours. Right. But the problem still existed afterwards. And so then he le- ran it at level five. And went, you know, and then like left. And then I, I think he was flying somewhere. I'm, I'm getting my testimonials a little bit mixed up. But I remember that he checked back with his friend, you know, a couple of days later to say, hey, you know, when Spinrite finished, how were things afterwards? And the friend said, everything's perfect. It's, it's, it's cured. And I meant then, but I got sidetracked and, you know, we went, we went off on our, on our discussion. I meant then to sort of explain a little bit about these levels because the, the level two of Spinrite is a read-only pass, so it has the virtue of being faster. That is, the idea is it scans the entire drive, every single sector, as fast as it can, only reading the sectors, and but but doing so much differently than if the computer were reading the sectors, where there's all kinds of fault tolerance that's added in and retries. So, for example, Spinrite's trying to find problems, but it's only doing so by reading. So it, it shuts down drive retries. It shuts down error correction. It shuts down many of the normal procedures, which tend to mask errors because it's actually looking for problems on the, on the drive. But even so, well, and, and the advantage of, of doing a read-only pass is that it's substantially faster than, than the deeper level passes. When you do a level five test, Spinrite reads the initial data then inverts all the bits, all the zeros to ones, ones to zeros, writes them back, then reads that back, and then reinverts them and writes them back, then reads that back and compares it to the original. So it's literally, it's, it's, it's flipping every bit on the entire drive. So that's why it takes so long. Twice, exactly. Well, and so it's, it takes, you know, you can imagine we're doing five times more work, reading, writing, reading, writing, and reading. And so it's substantially longer. But because we're, we're actually, uh, well, es- essentially making sure that every single bit position on the drive can hold both a one and a zero, um, we will tend to find things that a simple read pass won't. So, so that I wanted to clarify why it was that in that testimonial I, I shared with our listeners last week, this, the, the pass two in that case, let the, the, the use of level two um, didn't solve the problem, which level five did, right. because it was much more active and probably found a, it's possible to have an error on the drive such that the sector can be read with one set of data, but not with another, oh, really? which is why I actually do this data inversion scan to really, you know, basically, really exercise every bit position on the drive. Do you find that it um, is able to recover sectors very often, or more often does it just map it out? Well, um, the good news is all contemporary drives are mapping sectors dynamically when you let them. So well, that's one of the other things Spinrite does is it suppresses this automatic relocation um, technology while it's in use until, for example, it's satisfied with the data that it's recovered from the sector. 
Then it says, okay, drive, give me a new physical sector in this location, and it's into that newly relocated sector that Spinrite puts the data back that it has recovered. So it's, I mean, it's really healing the drives as right. actually you've experienced that yourself Leo. yeah in fact i have a new drive to uh, test out on it my ipod died and i'm almost positive it's the it's the drive not the uh not the uh, uh battery or in fact i know it's not the battery it's holding a charge it's it's de- it's definitely the drive well and we, as a matter of fact i know that Spinrite can fix ipod drives right. we've had a bunch of people that have written in saying hey you know i all my music's back it's right like, well, right <laughs> good <laughs> But now I have to find, you know, get the adapter and everything because it has to be internal on a PC to to fix it. So correct, yeah, correct. You need you need to take the little the little. Is it the one point eight inch drive in the iPod? I think it must be the really really small. It's not. You know, I thought it would be the two and a half. It's not a two and a half. It's not the uh, micro drive. I guess it is a one point eight inch. It's it yep. looks like a PC card about. Yep, and That's in fact, it's inch. it's funny because we've had people that have there's a one point eight inch to 2.5 adapter right. and a 2.5 to regular IDE three right. and a half inch adapter and people have daisy chained them yep. in, in order to fix their iPods. That's what uh, I'm going to be doing. Using Spinrite. Yep. <laughs> that's, a, that's a project for another day though. I, you know, yeah. It's one of those things where I thought I can't live without my iPod and I ended up buying it. So. Well, and Leo, it's why I've never had one with a hard, actually I do, have, I do have them now but I just love the solid state iPods. They're, yeah, they're never going to go bad. Yeah. It's a robust technology. But I also like having a lot of capacity. Yes, I'm so, sure you there, do. There you go. <laughs> All right, it's time to talk about, and I love this, the fourth factor. Yep. Uh, so, first of all, when you say authentication, just so to make this clear, what do you mean when you say authentication? Well, it's about proving that you are who you say you are. Authenticating that you are that 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 uh, well, and and okay, uh, authenticating that you are you you. And doing so to somebody remotely. I mean, that's where the challenge comes in. Remember that when we talked four weeks ago about about multi-factor authentication, we started off talking, for example, in the olden days. Uh, I think we used some examples from characters from Andy of Mayberry, where Opie would go into the drugstore, and he could be allowed to pick up Aunt B's um, medication because the druggist knew him, right. you know, and so he knew it was Opie coming into the store and that Opie was trustworthy and would, you know, go straight home to take Aunt, Aunt B her pills. And and so so four weeks ago, we talked about the the three factors of authentication being something, you know, meaning, for example, like a password, something, something you, you and only, you know, it's it's private to you. Good point. And, yeah. and in fact, we drew the distinction then that we're talking about discriminating. That is something you know that no one else knows, meaning that that factor can be used to discriminate you from anybody else. Right. G- given that you've kept this information to yourself. And that's so exactly what a password does. I mean, it, t- it tells the website or your software that's you and nobody else. Right. And then, of course, the something you have is a physical token of some sort. And, of course, the, 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 the popular one that a lot of our listeners, I was surprised how many people wrote in and said, hey, we're using Secure ID, which mm-hmm. is an RSA token, which, which we've talked about now several times. It displays a periodically changing multi-digit number in a little LCD screen. And so mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing you have on your keychain, and it's always showing some number, and every minute 
it goes to a next one. And then by, by hooking that in to an RSA server, the server knows the, the, the seed that your token, your particular token is set with. And so it's able to determine what number you're seeing. Right. So it, it's able to verify that, well, somebody has your token and we're hoping it's you. So, <laughs> right. And, and so, so it's funny because a number of our listeners who wrote in said, Hey, not only do we have to give them that token number, we also have a pin or a password. Apparently that that's software configurable. Some companies use you know pins, short short numeric pins. Uh, others allow employees to use regular passwords of some length. So that would be so, dual factor. So it's something you know and something you have. Exactly, mm-hmm. and that solves the problem of your token getting away from you right. and it being used for some mischief. So and it's that's not what a bank just, does with an ATM card. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. and in fact, there there's another much more common example of of two factor authentication now. The the ATM card has the limitation that you have to be at an ATM machine. And that's why this RSA token is cool, because since it's an LCD display and you're able you're you're entering the data on a screen on a website, you're able to get hardware token two factor authentication that way. Mm. Whereas the only way to do that, for example, on a in a PC format would be if you had a, a mag card stripe reader, reader right, right. hooked to your PC, then you'd use your ATM card to, you know, to do a card swipe. And there are that's smart cards to log on to machines like Power Logon that do exactly that. Right. Yep. And then finally, the, the, the third factor is something you are, which gets us into another large topic that we're going to be spending some time on in the future, because I just I think it's fascinating and also really interesting. And that is, you know, things like you know, the whole idea of biometrics. That is something bio that is about about you and metric that is to say that can be measured. And so there's retinas and irises and, you know, <coughs> excuse me, I, um, uh, uh, hand geometry measurements. Um, and, and of course, very common is fingerprints. That's it's funny, Leo. I've been using now for several weeks a, a the fingerprint scanner on my IBM ThinkPad, and I really like it. Um, it it has support in the BIOS, and it uses the TPM, the Trusted Platform Module, built into the ThinkPad, which is another topic we're going to be talking about in the future because it's been controversial in the past due to the possibility of its being abused. But I really like the idea that my hard drive is is locked so that no one can, who even took the drive out of the laptop would be able to read it until I swipe my finger as the as the laptop boots up, and the BIOS in, in the uh, interaction between the uh, a processor in the fingerprint scanner and the BIOS authenticate me in a truly secure fashion using the trusted platform module that's built onto the motherboard of the laptop, only if that succeeds will it then dynamically unlock my drive as I boot to allow there to be any chance of, of to boot an OS. And then Windows comes up um, knowing that it's me that has turned this, this laptop on. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, it, it's a really nice solution. If I were 
more concerned, I could go for two-factor authentication and have to provide a password and my fingerprint. But I, I'm I'm careful about my laptop, and I'm not. <laughs> Let's traveling. not go crazy here. Blah blah blah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Great. All right. So um, you've discovered now that we know what authentication is, and we've got three the, three different factors. You've discovered a fourth factor. Well, yes. During the research I was doing um, four weeks ago, I stumbled across something that that just caught my eye, and you know, grabbed some references to it, and have spent some time thinking about it more, and that is. The fourth factor turns out to be sort of a return to the past. But, for example, in this RSA research paper, um, these guys have put some science to it. The fourth factor is someone you know. Uh-huh. So, of course, that's the, the pharmacist and Opie example. That right. is, the pharmacist trusted Opie because he knows him. Right. Now, right. now, in an electronic mode, of course, how do you prove that you're someone you know? That is the idea being we're still talking about trans-internet authentication. Well, in the in the RSA research paper, they're, of course, a little RSA-centric. We, we can't fault them for that. No. So they talk about a model for the fourth factor involving their secure ID token, where the, the, the way this would work is imagine that that uh, Sally, we'll just make up a Sally, okay. uh, has lost her token but needs to authenticate herself in her corporate environment. Mm-hmm. So there is a, there's a formal structure to allow someone Sally knows who has not lost their token to extend the authentication through his trust and his, his knowledge of Sally. So what happens is, you know, Sally calls Bob and says, "Bob, oh, I'm I've done it again. I'm sorry. I'm I'm so ditzy this morning. I left my secure ID token at home. Um, I need you to authenticate me." Uh oh. So that's the well, kind of thing a spy would do. Well, now that's a very good point, <laughs> and this is one of the weaknesses that this RSA security paper, and I will have a link to it in our show notes, so so people can dig down into this if they're interested. It's one of the weaknesses that these guys not only qualify, but quantify right. in terms of, you know, how does this weaken the system? Because right. they, 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 they talk about, for example, if Sally sent Bob email to say, I left my secure ID at home, you know, that's obviously very weak right. form of someone you know, right. because email is so easily spoofable. And so, you know, th- they design a system where in a, in a drop-down list box, you, in, order to, in order for Bob to authenticate Sally to, the, to his corporate network infrastructure, for example, there's a drop-down list box where there's a number of choices of how Bob knows this is Sally. And it says, um, talk to her or, you know, met her face-to-face. She called me on the phone. She sent me email or, you know, a number of other things. And so the idea being that even things that might be disallowed are listed there so that Bob doesn't lie. So, uh, so that uh, Bob is encouraged to say, oh, she sent me email. 
Well, then when he tries to submit <laughs> this, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sorry, Bob. Says, sorry, Bob. Uh, that's not okay. Tell Sally she's going to have to do better than that. She has to, you know, prove herself. And and so what what they've tried to do is because it's obviously about human factors and is and and anything like this is prone to social engineering attacks. Right. They, they they've 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 tried to to give Bob the opportunity to tell the truth about why he believes this is Sally so that he won't just say, ah, it's probably Sally. Right. And, and, and now the other good thing is that, so, so, okay, just to close this loop. So, so Bob believing this is Sally, he, um, the, the, the way this works is Sally has said to the system first, I don't have my token. Um, give me a one use password that I can use in order to get myself authenticated. So the mm. system gives her some some sort of a you know a, a a a token of some sort. She then provides that to Bob and says, "Bob, I left my my token at home. Could you get me on the network, please? Can you authenticate me?" Bob says, "Well, this really does sound like you, Sally." Um uh so yes, you know, he has some some credible reason to believe this is she. So he goes to the system and says, hi, this is Bob, and I've got my secure ID. So he goes through the normal protocol of authenticating himself to the system so that the system knows this is him. And he says, here is the, the token that you gave Sally a, a, a couple seconds ago, which she needs to use to authenticate. So he provides that to the system. The system says, okay. This is what we gave to Sally a minute ago. We know you're Bob. You've proven that to, to us. So here is the matching, you know, like magic token that that you are to give to Sally to prove that 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 you're who you say you are and you're known to the system. So 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 the system gives something back to Bob. That this matching token, which he then gives to Sally, and Sally then provides to the system. So what this does is this this securely and in a one-time only use. It, so it, um, it 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 creates a series of chains where the only thing you really need to depend upon is that that Bob and Sally are in agreement that they know each other, or more specifically that Bob is sure this is Sally. Who has made the request? And so Sally, in returning this token that she received from Bob, verifies that she's had this dialogue with him. The system verifies that this matches the temporary token it initially gave to her. And the only way that can happen is if if she's been been the recipient and this thing has flowed through Bob to the system back and then back through Bob to her. So I mean it sounds confusing. In practice, it's not very difficult. Is, and, that, is this the web of trust that they talk about? Well, no, that's we're going to get to that in a it's second. Not, okay. And I expect you have much more experience with that, Leo, be, than I do, because you have been for many, many years a PGP user. Right, right. So, so, so this is not a web of trust. This is a, a sort of a fallback solution for what happens in or to, to, to a solution to the problem of the strength of a two-factor system losing its strongest factor, meaning 
you know, the something I have, unfortunately, uh, I left it at home. So how do I authenticate myself in a in an online fashion, in a in a secure fashion, in the absence of one of these tokens? And the idea being that you know, if the if the players play by the rules, and of course that's the the weakness in this is again we are talking about the human factors side, but but any system like this that is strong needs to have some sort of well and, and to be practical needs to have some sort of fallback methodology you know the the classic example is when we use passwords to authenticate ourselves on sites when we're signing up with our account they'll often say okay well to give us some personal information about yourself what was the you know your favorite teacher in high school right. your, your you know your first pet's name where, you know what city were you born in and of course, those questions are used exactly in this fashion as sort of fallback password recovery options. There, the the problem there is that the weakness of that is those can often be determined through data mining. For example, it's possible to you know, find somebody's mother's maiden name on the internet through data mining, and unfortunately, you know, mother's maiden name is the classic fallback authentication you know recovery approach right and and everybody it's, knows it. <laughs> it's terminally weak right, yeah i mean right. it's it's, it's really e- first not- of all it's easy to find somebody's mother's maiden name right and and the and the other problem with that is it's inherently static right everyone has one mother right. and she had one maiden name right and and it's not changing right the the nice thing about the the model that the rsa guys came up with as a as a fallback solution for the 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 temporary loss of a token is it it does use one time only identifiers so there it's not subject to any kind of a replay attack that is it's not possible for someone else to use the token they got from Bob or that Sally wrote down on a pad of paper or something right. and and use it as a single factor authenticator to the network right. so so it's a it, it's a it's a cool system and it, it demonstrates Again, a, a way that it's possible to use someone you know who is essentially vouching for you. The, the, the point I was going to make also is that, is that Bob knows he's on the hook for having, having authenticated Sally. So, you know, given that logs are being made and logs are always made in, in these sorts of, of secure authentication scenarios, there's a log entry that says Sally was authenticated through Bob at this time. So if it turns out that Sally has done something wrong to the system or it turns out this wasn't Sally, Bob knows he's responsible to the powers that be, uh, you know, basically of of providing the credentials, the, the temporary credentials that this person who claimed to be Sally um, uh, was. Yeah, had. Did. Had <laughs> did <laughs> whatever, whatever some word in there a verb we'll just put exactly your verb here. Now the web of trust is is a, a sort of a is a long standing variation on this. Right. The the idea we've talked about about the the public key infrastructure or PKI in the past and we've discussed it extensively as regards the signing of security certificates. You know, GRC 
my web server um, supports a secure sockets connection, an, an SSL, secure sockets layer connection, and we enforce that at any time during, the, for example, our customers' use of the e-commerce system for, for purchasing Spinrite. My certificate is signed by VeriSign, that is a trusted authority and that signs many people's certificates. So the idea being that the browser trusts VeriSign to do its due diligence in verifying that anyone applying for a certificate for Gibson Research Corporation really is me, essentially, you know, Chief Honcho at Gibson Research Corporation. And I do have to go through a bunch of hoops, you know, verifying phone numbers and addresses and, and Dunham Bradstreet listings and that kind of stuff in order to, to get my certificate every couple of years when I need to renew it. So, so there the idea is we have a, a, central, a central certificate signing authority, a certificate authority that, that signs certificates. And so our trust of them is extended through their signing action to the certificate. Well, Paul's, um, is it, that's not Paul Zimmerman. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Philip. Phil, Phil Zimmerman. Yeah. I knew it was a P. Yeah. Uh, Phil, yeah. Phil, Phil Zimmerman, when he created PGP, he wanted to create a, a public key infrastructure, but he did not want to tie it to a, a similar sort of central signing authority. So, so his idea was to create a so-called web of trust. The, the idea being that you could have people sign each other's um, public keys, their PGP keys, and thereby in doing so saying, I assert that this person is who he is. And, and, so, and, and, the, and then the idea being that in, in the ideal case, for example, I may not know um, well, Sal, we'll, we'll go. We'll stay with Sally and Bob. Sally may not know Bob, but but Sally knows Jeff, and Jeff knows Bob. Right. And as it happens, Jeff has signed Bob's key, his PGP key, and and Sally has signed Jeff's. So there is a there is a a three person chain involving two signatures that create the, this three-node chain. And so, so the idea being that if Sally trusts Fred because she knows him, and, 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 she, and Fred is asserting by having signed Bob's PGP key that he knows him, she can be very sure that, that she has the key that Bob is asserting. Right. And so, like if Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Exactly, yes. and and, <laughs> and, 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 and knows Carol, and Carol knows Sal. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now the problem, of course, with this is as the chain gets longer. Again, we're 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 still basically in a social engineering mode. That is, as is always the case in in any authentication scenario, the 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 trust that you can have in the authentication provided is only as secure as the weakest link. Mm. So, so if you did extend the trust really much further beyond this two-link example, you know, suddenly you're probably trusting somebody you don't know. Yeah. So, so you don't really have personal verification. See, in, 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 the, in the simple two-link model, 
Sally does know Fred, and so she knows how trustworthy he is, and she knows he would not assert that he knows Bob unless he really did. Unfortunately, we live now in such a fast-paced world that, uh, especially with PGP, you, you don't know everybody personally, directly. Right. Well, and you're certainly not, not only do you not know everybody personally, but you certainly don't, you aren't just so, so-called two degrees of separation. Many, many more. Exactly. Yeah. And, and in theory, of course, I think studies have been done. And in fact, we talked about it at some point during our 94 episodes, <laughs> this notion of six degrees of separation. Studies right. have been done that show that in most social, I mean, real world social networks, any two people on the planet are connected by only six links. There's six degrees of separation between any two people um, in general. You know, on average. So, so the, the 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 beautiful concept of this notion of a web of trust would be that if if PGP were pervasive enough, and everybody got keys and signed them, and had everybody that they communicate with sign their key and they signed theirs, that you would end up with a a very useful and robust web of trust. Now, again, trust is the key because Every link in that web needs to be a trustworthy web, a, a, a trustworthy link, and and to be to be worthy of the parties trusting each other. If that's the case, then you really are asserting through, a, well, technically any distance, any number of links. Obviously, if every single link is something you can count on, then even though you might be ten steps away from someone else. You're, if every one of those links is trustworthy, then you know you can be absolutely sure to the to the degree of the least trustworthy link that ten steps away, this is really somebody who is asserting that they are who they are. One way they, uh, I, I think, in the early days, of course, uh, I mean, there are some obvious problems with this. Um, and for instance, my keys are signed by hundreds of people, probably none of whom really know that that's my key uh, because they, they got an email from me or they saw that key and they assumed that that was email was from me and they signed it. Uh, and I've done the same for others, but really uh, in the old days you might actually, in fact, I think they still do key signing parties. You might actually physically meet up. I was just going to say that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that and, solves that problem. Yes. Many times you'll have SIGs, you know, special interest groups in, in computer clubs who, and, and they'll get together and they'll show each other their driver's license to say, look, this is really me. See, this is my photo and here's my name. I, you know, I want you to sign my key because essentially the more people who sign your key, the more valuable that is because there is integrity associated with it. So in there, you don't necessarily have a connected web between points, but you're able to get somebody's key and see how many people have said this is really him. And so you say, okay, you know, what are the chances that all these people are wrong? And so, right. so there, you, you see, <laughs> actually possible if we're, if they're all befuddled and fooled. But yes, I mean, yeah. you're, and that's a very good point. It would be certainly possible for some 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 bad guy to go around with a fake ID and and use key signing parties to get a ton of people agreeing with him that he's bad. 
I mean, th- th- that he is who he is when in fact he's not, and then take advantage of this robust impersonation to do bad things. It- it's funny because an example of this sort of, the same sort of social networking is what we see with, with eBay purchases being being verified by a chain of people you bought things from before. I know that when I'm buying things on eBay, I always make a point of checking out somebody's reputation. So reputation systems are are sort of a, a, a softer... Same idea, aren't they? Yeah. Exactly. The same and sort of thing. we've seen them uh, fooled before. Uh, yes. In, in fact, there are bot networks now that are designed to create spoofed reputation right. of bad guys on eBay. They, by, they, they sign each other's certificates, in effect. Essentially do that, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so they, 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 they create a fake internal web of trust, which unfortunately is extended into the, the, the normal eBay web because they're able to create a, a, a deep and rich-looking background of successful purchases right. of, of, of something of, you know, basically a penny each were the purchases, so not much money got spent, and that same penny probably went back and forth within this network of, of bots. <laughs> exactly. Well, so you could see the problems inherent in this. It's not exactly a perfect form of authentication, but uh, I guess for, for PGP and the purpose of PGP, it's it's sufficient. Well, yeah, and I mean, it, it is exactly. It's not like you're going to rely on this absolutely. I mean, what what you really want is to meet up with the people you care about, like you right. know, you and I, Leo. Right. You and I get together physically in Vancouver. We should sign we, our keys. We sign each other's yeah. keys, and it's game over. There's no way now that that anyone can spoof you to me or 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 me to you. And and it would be sensible at that time to like look at a driver's license or some other you know form of authentication, maybe more than one, to make sure that that's the case. I suppose that would be true if if you and I, mean, I, I know. Didn't, you. I mean. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, we don't even need to meet up because you could say, okay, right now I'm going to send you an email with my key in it. Would you sign it? That would work, too. Um, That would work. You're right. Because I I was just trying to think whether any man in the middle attack could attack that. But no, because because I've signed my own key. So you could get my public my public uh, key and verify that that's my signature on my own key, right. and nobody else would be able to spoof that. Right, right. So you're right. You 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 could be you could establish trust in that fashion. Cool. It is, and um, I found something that I'm excited about. I, I I've got one on order, um, I, and I'm excited about it because it's cool and it's cheap. <laughs> I found a a it's like a twenty dollar. U.S. a one gig USB storage device yeah. with a built-in fingerprint scanner. Oh, clever! Twenty dollars. Anyway, so I, I need to check it out and see how it works because they talk about how it only really works on Windows 2000 and XP. It's like, oh, okay. Well, well, I'll tell you it, why. We've actually uh, uh, sh- uh, shown that uh, and dem- demonstrated that on in the lab. Okay, and um, it's because it's got software on it, right? It's a U. I, I don't know if it's a U three. St- same concept as a U3 USB key, but it's the same. It's the same concept, whether it's the same software. I don't know, but it automatically launches the authentication software. Uh, and, and it has to makes, run, yeah. It just has to run on XP or 2000. There's no reason it couldn't run on Vista. They just apparently haven't written it for Vista. Okay, I, what I was hoping was that this thing did this internally, which would have been so cool. You know, uh, for, for well, it does have an internal encryption key, a unique internal encryption key. Right. So that so. 
Yeah, but he has software running on the key. I guess not. Yeah, and in fact, the, the, I, no, I, I've intended to spend some time talking about U3. The problem is, I just it gives me a queasy feeling to stick a USB dongle it into should. a system it should. And, ha- and have it launch software it and should. F- for there to be no means for me to override that. Right. It's in just, fact, we've seen, demonstrated, I've seen hacker attacks that involve putting on a U3 USB key, uh, a hack key, keystroke logging software, rootkitted, so forth. You plug it into a machine. The, the software checks to see if it's been installed yet. If it hasn't, it installs itself. The hacker walks away. This happens within 30 seconds. Uh, then comes back a week later, same key, check says, ah, I've been installed. Let me download the database of logged passwords. Yep. So this is a very, very dangerous technology. And if you if you use a machine in a uh, library or an internet cafe, I think you should assume it's been compromised in this way. It's, it's probably the, the perfect example of the reason why that's too convenient. I mean, you know, we yep. talk we, we, we talk often <laughs> yep. about about the trade off between convenience and security. And it's like, yeah, it's really convenient to plug this thing into a computer. <laughs> it's really and, dangerous. And, and have it launch, but oh my goodness, yeah, is really, it dangerous. Really dangerous. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I and uh, I guess that I would hope there would be some way to disable that auto run in uh, in Windows. Uh but I'm not counting on it. <laughs> there must be, there must although be. Although in my looking at it, it, it creates a virtual CD drive and then another data drive. Okay, good. Because you can turn off auto-mounting CDs. Right. And in, in, in that case, and, and so that's the technology that it's using in order to make sense to take over. So, yeah. Very dangerous. Al- al- although, I think to remove it, you need, uh, at least when it was in, I needed to use their removal software oh. to remove it, which, of course, is the first thing I did. Is like, get this thing. This is a right. bad idea. Get right. this off of this right. dongle. I want all my four gigs back. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's right. So don't buy a U3 key and disable it on all systems that you want to keep secure. And by the way, if, you, if you're a hacker, you can uh, check out, I think it was uh, Hack 5. And Darren Kitchen uh, told us how to do this. So that makes total <laughs> you sense. Go to Hack 5. Darren will tell you exactly what you need to know to make a bad, bad thing. Well, in the future, we will be we will be covering various aspects of authentication. And, you know, Leo, I've got to say, the more I think about this, this secure ID token idea, the more I like it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm wishing, for example, that that there were a way to use that the individual end users could could get something like the secure ID token and and that there would be a service offered that websites could use to authenticate people. That is, rather than using my my you know my email address and a password, which just it continually makes me feel uncomfortable because I'm 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 using static information to authenticate myself. It's difficult not to reuse that on other websites. I mean it takes tremendous discipline not to. Imagine if instead you know like all websites, well, that's not going to happen, but I mean, like a large number of websites or maybe, you know, some trusted um, uh, entity provided a service where websites could say, okay, you know, prove you are who you say you are. They get in very much the way that this RSA uh, model right. follows. Right. They give you a token. You use some little app on your PC. Again, obviously you're on the internet already. You authenticate on the fly with some third-party authentication service, 
that, that would be, you know, use something like this kind of a time-varying token. You provide that service with the token the site you want to authenticate to has provided you. The service encrypts it or signs it or, or you know, mutates it. After authenticating you, you then provide, you, you just, you know, cut, copy, paste, you drop it back into the website, and you've, so the website knows more securely that you are you than if if you had given it your email and password because right, the website right. has no idea who's just done that and you're more secure because you've not had to give it anything that that you you've used anywhere else and it's never the same twice it's one one use authentication I, just, I think we're like, very close to that. In fact, in fact it maybe somebody's already doing it and we just don't know about it. But, you know, the open ID infrastructure could absolutely support that. Um, and right now, most of the open ID providers I know of don't have a really good secure authentication system. Um, you know, they just do it by email. But uh, it would be great if, they, well, if somebody come it, along and did that because there is the infrastructure to use an open ID site as an authenticator. Right. And, and so the idea would be, you know, if a user didn't want super secure authentication, they wouldn't have to purchase a, a you know, a hardware token. Right. But I'd do it in a heartbeat in order. I mean, and they're not that expensive in right. order to have the ability to log on to sites I in a too. secure way that strongly authenticates me because of something I know and something I have. And even if the site, I mean, the beauty of using a third party is then not every single site has to support, you know, all of the infrastructure. Also, and, yeah, it's very simple. They just support the open ID infrastructure uh, yep. and, and, and would do it. I, there's got to be an open ID provider that's doing this. And if not, there's a there's a really good business opportunity. I, I think so in I'd the do future it. without question. Yeah, I yep. would do it. Yep. Um, let's uh, mention, by the way, if you, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you're probably concerned about security. You listen to it a lot. You're probably terrified about security, and I want to remind you: there is a way to protect your enterprise, your business, absolutely securely. Uh, thanks to the folks at Astaro, our our sponsor, A S T A R O. They are the makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, based on uh, a, a, a mix of best of breed open source and commercial software. It does everything. It, it's about the size of a router, kind of configures like a router, looks like a router, <clears throat> but does so much more. I mean, you get uh, transparent email encryption and decryption using PGP or SMIME. You get remote access via VPN, including SSL VPN, which is the easiest to configure and use. You also get L2TP over IPsec, PPTP tunneling, IPsec. Uh, it's the only, in fact, UTM appliance in the marketplace with this, this incredible variety of VPN and remote access solutions. It scales well. Up to a 10 Astaro security gateways can be uh, connected to do... Uh, Without any additional load balancing, it does it automatically. Just really great. It's a Starro version 7, A-S-T-A-R-O.com. Call 877, the number 4, a Starro, to schedule a free trial in your business. 877, the number 4, a Starro. And if you're a non-commercial user, you can get that home user license for the V7 package, which includes all subscriptions and a Starro up-to-date, so you get the antivirus, anti-spyware, you get the firewalling, you get every, all this goodness, the, the, the encryption, the... Uh, uh, intrusion protection for free for free astaro.com business users call 877 the number four a star we thank you so much for your support 
I, this authentication stuff seems like it's it's uh, so important, and it almost in some ways seems like it's in its infancy. And yet, of course, yeah. there's a lot of work been done. Right. I, I mean, the, the beauty is, as we talked about many, many, many moons ago, crypto is mature enough now. Yeah. It is in the public domain. We know how to do crypto. And crypto provides so many beautiful solutions. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. idea that you can have a certificate, that somebody can sign it, and, that, and that, that that extends their credentials to your certificate. The idea that, you know, you're able to publish a public, a, a public key and people can use that to encode and encrypt things that only you who have the matching private key can decrypt. So I mean, elegant. So it's beautiful. Just, it's be- yeah, there's yeah. beautiful building blocks. Yeah. And, and I really believe, Leo, that, that downstream, I mean, I can't think of anything more more mission critical than than continuing to move forward forward on on secure authentication technology being able you know and i mean i can foresee the day when a huge number of people will have little tokens on their on on their literally on their key rings and and just use them as as part of you know going about their their normal sure. day to might say, be how you get in your car for crying out yeah, loud. Yeah. This is something I have. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's just great. Well, thank you, Steve. A fascinating subject. And, uh, there's, there's obviously a uh, room to talk more about it and we will, and we'll talk more about security in general. Uh, every Thursday on this show, you can get a copy of the uh, 16 kilobit version for those of you with dial up connections at Steve's site, grc.com. That's also where he uh, puts the uh, transcriptions. So you can read along show notes and more that's grc.com you'll also find of course shields up and all his free security software there and the great spin right the ultimate disc maintenance and recovery utility it's a must-have for everyone's toolkit toolkit that's at grc.com we'll see you next week steve right earlier security now